Thanks, Jim. Well, good morning, Grace Chapel. Glad you guys made it out on this beautiful Sunday morning, and happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Um, I am Josh Billings. I'm the pastor here, and we are going through an amazing series right now, which I can't wait to get started to talk to you about today. But before I do, I just want to challenge and remind you to take a minute over this weekend to remember why we celebrate Memorial Day, uh, what that means to us, the sacrifice that has, that has been made, the great sacrifice that has been made by so many people, uh, both now and in our past. Um, it's such an easy and fun weekend because the weather's nice to just kind of fire up the grill and have a good time. But in that, take a minute and remember the sacrifice because it's, it's pivotal to our country and it's pivotal um, that we remember and, and appreciate uh, that, that great sacrifice by, by, our, by our countrymen. So with that, um, so giving is the series that we have been going through and, and I have loved it. The first week we talked about um, generosity or giving generously in community and, and how uh, God wants us to be a cheerful giver and what that looks like. Um, and then the second week, we talked about um, uh, courage, uh, giving with courage, and intentional courage is what it takes to be a cheerful giver and to be the kind of giver that God wants. And, and we talked about different types of giving, whether that's time, energy, emotion, and the big one that no one really wants to talk about, which is finances. God challenges us to give those things. And, and as we kind of march through this series... <clears throat> We have another one that we get to talk about this morning, which I'm really excited about. <clears throat> and I also have a frog in my throat, so by the end of this, I might actually sound like a frog, so I'm sorry about that. I don't usually drink water during the message, but this is for your benefit, not mine. Have you ever thought why it's so, under or wondered why it's so uncomfortable when you hear someone talk about giving financially? That, that word tithing? I don't know about you, but whenever I hear someone preach on it or talk about it, there's like this little voice in the back of my head that I just can't ignore that's like screaming at me like, don't tell me what to do with my money, right? If that's what I feel like when somebody talks to me about it, how do you people feel when I talk to you about it? Or how do I feel when I actually have to stand up here and talk about it? It's not easy, but it is so important that we get this part right that we give and we give cheerfully. It's important because God tells us it's important. And this morning we get to talk about another aspect of giving, which, which is going to be interesting and I, and I think it's going to be really profound. Um, so I think it's hard to listen to people to talk about tithing or giving because we have been um, lulled into believing something that isn't true. And I don't think this is just a Western thing. I think this is a global thing. I think this is a human thing that we have been lulled into believing that we are kings and queens and we have our own little kingdoms that we control and that we work hard for our money and we get our money and we draw a circle around our little island and it's ours and we work hard with it and we try to be smart with it and we try to be wise with it and that's the way it is. And that's the reality as to why I am uncomfortable when people tell me what to do with my little kingdom. Because I work hard for it. And there's nothing wrong with working hard for it. That's a good thing. But I think that there's a, a difference of opinion, a difference of perspective. And that's, that is that we are not kings and queens of ours. It's that we are stewards. And there is a slight but important difference between a king and a steward. A king owns and a steward manages. 
And I'm going to test your, your nerd uh, abilities here. Does anyone know the name the Den Denethor II? Does that ring a bell to anyone? Deno, <laughs> you got a couple? Yes, Denethor II. This is going to test your Fellowship of the Ring nerdiness, which I, I really love Fellowship of the Ring. When those movies came out, I was so excited. I read the books in, in middle school, and I just couldn't get enough of the series. Gerald Tolkien is an amazing author. Well, he's created this character called Denethor II, and Denethor II is the steward of Gondor, and Gondor is this, the great, the last great city of men in Middle-earth, and it's all the glory, all the power, all the might of men, and a long line of kings has since fallen away from the throne, and there is this line of stewards and so Denethor II, his father Denethor, Denethor I, and his father, and his father, and it on, goes on in, into, the, into, past, into the past. These were stewards. And Denethor II was very proud of his kingdom. He was proud of it, and he sat at the little black chair next to the big white throne in the, in the throne room. And he ruled like a king rules. He makes decisions. He says, that army goes there, this army comes here, we spend this money on this, I control this, we work it out this way. And he has every almost um, benefit of a king. But one day, in walks Gandalf. And Gandalf says, hey, good news, Denethor. The king has arrived. And he's planning on taking his throne, justly and rightly so. And Denethor, apparently, Denethor II, has apparently forgotten that he is a steward. And he says, that will never happen. I will never give up my kingdom to him. And I wonder if we have been lulled to sleep into believing that we're kings and queens of our kingdom, but in fact we're stewards of what God has entrusted to us. I wrote down a couple of passages that I think will be interesting. And instead of me flipping through them in the Bible because that would take the whole time, I wrote them down a little note cards. So listen to Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. That's God saying, this is mine, and it's not just the stuff, it's the people. I own everything. It's mine, I created it. Deuteronomy 10, 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Revelation 23, 13 Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the beginning and he's the end and he's everything in between. One of my favorites comes from the book of Job. Job 41.11, who has a claim against me, God says to Job, that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. And then lastly, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. I think it's uncomfortable for me to hear people talk about tithing or giving because I think it's mine and I've worked hard for it and I'm proud of it. And I've invested it the way I want to invest it. And I've saved it the way I've wanted to save it. And I've spent it the way I want to spend it. But the reality is, is I am a steward of God's resources. So the question is, is am I stewarding well? Today's passage is an interesting one. 
And it's one of those passages that is a mind-blowing moment if you were in the context. If you were sitting in someone's house and someone stood up and said, I want to read this to you, in the context, it would have been life-changing. And I think we've probably read it so often or so frequently or, 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 or we've kind of glossed over it that it doesn't really have a huge impact on us today. So I'm going to read the passage and then I'm going to share a little bit about the context and why this is such a big deal. This passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul has since come to Corinth and he has started a little church in Corinth. And that church has grown and grown and grown and done really well. And now he is away, and he's writing them a letter. And this is what he says in the second chapter of that letter. Chapter 2, verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, that I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Well, that's a peculiar thing to say. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power." What a fascinating little passage tucked away in this little letter to the Corinthians. So we have to start our morning with the understanding of stewardship. But this is where we're going this morning. Now, to give you a little context, as I promised, Corinth, you might know this, is a really wealthy city. It's a port city, a lot of commerce. They have entertainment they have prestige, they have the, the, um, the elites, you know, rubbing shoulders with the mucky-muck, the, the social um, desires and, and, and pleasures of the day. They had it all. They had um, Roman dignitaries, they had famous, the rich and the famous would, would spend time together and have luscious huge parties and everybody would know, and if you were really popular, you'd get invited. And this is the city that Paul shows up to to preach. This city has eloquence. It has power. It has wealth. It has culture. It has it all together. It's a persuasive kind of city. And they articulate themselves well. They're classy. They're educated. They're captains of industry. <laughs> and you have the Apostle Paul... And if we read into it with the, with the knowledge of what we know about the Apostle Paul, it doesn't seem that big of a deal. But this lowly apostle shows up, and he does it with fear and trembling. Not boasting of his persuasiveness, but being afraid. And he does it for a reason. Paul shows up weak. He shows up fearful. And he does not try to persuade them with his eloquence about who Jesus is. He came to that city boasting one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus Christ is king, not Paul. 
And it was so important for him to get that right for them that he showed up and intentionally humiliated himself. It's interesting that he would choose to do that in Corinth. He didn't do that in Athens. If you read in Acts 15, I believe it is, he shows up in Athens and he uses every persuasion he can muster. He convinces them. He gives them speeches. He gives them arguments. He talks to them as if he's one of their philosophers and they're fascinated. He uses the opposite approach in Corinth. Why would he do that? Can you imagine him preaching with his knees knocking together, trembling with fear, boasting in his inability? He did that because he knew Corinth, of all people, was susceptible to believing that they were kings. And of course, they want this new uh, religious uh, uh, elder or pastor to show up with persuasion. But he wanted to make a distinction, and a big distinction. This is not about me. This is not about what I can do. This is not about my skill set or my wealth or my eloquence or my control or my confidence. This is about one thing and one thing only. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he died for you. That's it. So Paul shows up and intentionally humiliates himself so that they won't be confused. You see, Paul was so passionate about being a steward, he didn't want anyone confusing his stewardship with kingship. Let's get the positions right. Jesus is king, and me, Paul, a lowly steward. And don't forget it. Don't forget it. And he reminds them in another letter. He reminds them in this letter and says, listen, do you remember how I showed up? I was embarrassing to you. I was afraid. I was trembling. Because I want you to know that I'm not a king. I want you to know that this is not mine. But I'm a steward. And the one that has entrusted much of me, he's the king. Paul was obsessed with honoring the king and what the king had entrusted him. You know what Paul was? Paul was vulnerable. He was vulnerable before the Corinthians. He was vulnerable on purpose so that they wouldn't confuse the two because he knew they were likely to confuse them. He vulnerably came and, and emptied himself of all valuable value in the society and said, no, I'm a steward. I am a steward. So where does that leave us this morning? What kind of giver are you? What kind of giver do you want to be? Because the more we reflect Jesus in our stewardship, the better we steward the more we reflect Jesus, the better we steward. And if you give out of this idea that you own and that what you have is yours and you've worked hard for it, I think you're missing it. And this is why I struggle. This is why I struggle with the idea of giving, why it's hard for me to talk about, why it's hard for me to even listen to someone talk about it. You know, Jen and I, um, 
have worked through this series together, and, and you should know this up front, she writes a solid amount of my sermons. She is an amazing woman who knows the Scripture very, very well. And so we're constantly talking and debating and discussing, often late into the night when we should be asleep because we have to get up early in the morning. And we're working through this series together, and we're talking, and we're talking, and we're talking, and arguing. Let me tell you, we argue over passages. No, I don't think it means that. No, I think it means this. I don't think it means that. Back and forth and back and forth. And neither one of us has said it as we've processed these three messages so far. But this message, as we began to work through it, I had a thought. And as I, and as I was working through the passage and the concept of vulnerability, I thought, you know, I don't think I've been very vulnerable before Jesus. I'm a giver. I give. But am I giving enough? Am I giving with the right perspective? Because I feel like I've been giving as a king gives. Out of all that I've created, all that I have, I bestow this wonderful gift. Right? I mean, look at what I have. And I have this high and mighty attitude. Oh, I'm such a generous giver. And as I began to process through this message, the Spirit began to work on me. Is that really the right perspective? Are you giving really with the right frame, in, frame of mind? And, I, and I, was, I was out um, at a meeting, and I came home for a quick bite of, of lunch. And I said, Jen, I think the Spirit is convicting me. And she, wide eyes, she goes, I think the same thing. I think the Spirit is saying, hey, we're giving from the wrong perspective. And, and, and with that wrong perspective, our giving is limited. I said, I think God wants to give us more. wants us to steward better. And he wants us to give more. She said, okay. So this series has forced Jen and I to think even deeper and with vulnerability approach our king and say, King Jesus, am, am I stewarding the right way? Do I even have the right perspective on the fact that I am a steward instead of a king? And it was so con, um, confirming that the same thing was happening in Jen's heart. I don't say that out of boastfulness. I say that out of embarrassment. I come to you trembling. My knees are almost knocking together. It's hard to stand up here and say that. This is not about giving more. Don't hear me say that. It's about giving with the right perspective. That's what we're after. See, a vulnerable giver gives humbly. A vulnerable giver gives knowing they are giving out of what God has entrusted them to steward. Now think about that for a minute. If all you have is not yours and you're asked to steward it, it takes the sting a little bit more out of giving. It's his anyway. And the king says, hey, I've entrusted this to you. You're to give back to me a portion of it. In fact, Old Testament says first fruits, the best of the best. Give back to me and show me that you're stewarding. So what kind of giver do we want to be as Grace Chapel? What kind of giver do you want to be as an individual? We talked about in the first sermon that, that this is not about giving um, quickly or, or with guilt. It's about being calm and collected and intentional and sitting down in your prayer closet and saying, Lord, what do you want from me? 
what can I give? What should I be giving? What and how am I stewarding? So the question is, is are you a Denethor? Are you a Denethor II who forgot that he was a steward and not a king? And I'm not giving you anything you probably don't know because the movies have been out forever, but it doesn't end well for Denethor II. We'll say that. It doesn't end well for him. His mind shuts down because he cannot handle the difference between a king and a steward. And the pressure is too much. Are you a Denethor? Or you, do you want to be a vulnerable giver? It's not easy stepping into the spotlight of vulnerability and saying, King, Jesus, what would you have me give? It's scary. It's scary. This is the main point this morning. We must be vulnerable before Jesus and each other in order to be authentic givers. We must be vulnerable before Jesus and others to be authentic givers. It's important. It's important. I want to read to you a book from one of my favorite authors. It's a bit of a long quote, so you'll have to bear with me. This is C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. Amazing little book. I have to give my wife credit for this quote because she's the one who found it. Listen to this. Mrs. Fidget very often said that she lived for her family, and it was not untrue. Everyone in the neighborhood knew it. She lives for her family, they said. What a wife and mother. She did all the washing true. She did it badly. And they would have afforded, they could have afforded to send it out to a laundry, and they frequently begged her not to do it, but she did it. There, were always, there was always a hot lunch for anyone who was at home and always a hot meal at night, even in midsummer. They implored her not to provide this. They protested almost with tears in their eyes and with truth that they liked cold meals. It made no difference. She was living for her family. The pause was mine. She always sat up to welcome you home if you were out late at night. Two or three in the morning, it made no odds. You would always find a frail, pale, and weary face awaiting you, like a silent accusation, which meant, of course, that you couldn't with any decency go out often. She was always making things, too. Being, in her own estimation, I'm no judge myself, an excellent amateur dressmaker and great knitter, and, of course, unless you are a heartless brute, you had to wear the things. The vicar tells me that since her death, the the contributions of that family alone to sales of work outweigh those of all the other parishioners put together. And when her care for her health, and then her care for their health, she bore the whole burden of that daughter's delicacy alone. The doctor, an old friend, and it was not being done on national health, was never allowed to discuss matters with his patient. After the briefest examination of her, he was taken into another room by the mother. The girl was to have no worries, no responsibility for her own health, only loving care, caresses, special foods, horrible tonic wines, and breakfast in bed. For Mrs. Fidget, as so often said, would work, as so often she said, would work her fingers to the bone for her family. They couldn't stop her, nor could they, being decent people, 
uh, quite sit still and watch her do it. They had to help. Indeed, they were always having to help. That is, they did things for her to help her do the things for them, which they didn't want her done. As for their dear dog, it was to her, she said, just like one of the children. It was, in fact, as like one of them as, as she could make it. But since it had no scruples, it got on rather better than they. And though vetted, dieted, and guarded within an inch of its life, contrived sometimes to reach the dustbin or the, or the dog next door. The vicar says, Mrs. Fidget is now at rest. Let us hope she is. What's quite certain is that her family sure is. Mrs. Fidget is a giver. She's a giver as good a queen can be. Everyone knows it. And she doesn't give out of a cheerful heart. She doesn't give out of a generous heart. She gives because she wants credit. And I will confess to you, that is me so often. I want credit. Look at me. I'm a great king. I'm a generous king. I'm giving of what's mine. That's the wrong perspective. And when I have that perspective, it limits my giving. I'm not a king. I'm a steward, just like you. And the good news is that God, the king, has entrusted so much to us. All of our gifts, all of our talents, all of our family, all of our relationships, and all of our money, all of our possessions. So the question is, is what kind of steward do we want to be? Because according to our passage, we must be vulnerable before Jesus and others in order to be an authentic giver. We don't want to be, we don't want to struggle with the martyr complex that Mrs. Fidget had. We don't want to forget our place like Denethor II did. I want us to be generous in community. I want us to give with intentional courage because it's difficult to give. And I want us to give vulnerably in order to be good stewards of what we've been entrusted. So this is what this means to us this morning. You can pull out this yellow card you got in your bulletin. I don't want you to think of this as a request form. I want you to think of this as a reminder. In a few minutes, Matt and the band are going to play a song. And during that song, I want you to ask your king, what kind of steward am I, king? King Jesus, what kind of steward am I now? And what kind of steward do you want me to be? If you're like Mrs. Fidget, I'll bet you the king will say, why don't you slow down on the giving? <laughs> why don't you get the perspective right before you give so generously? This little card, it might be not enough time, you might be sitting during our worship song and go, you know, I just don't, I don't feel King Jesus saying anything to me. That's fine. Take it home. Put it on the fridge. Put it on the mirror. Put it in your car where you'll see it. And every time you see it, you say, King, my King, am I the steward that you want me to be? How can I be a better steward for you? Because if we do this, if we constantly are vulnerable before Jesus, our King, asking Him what kind of steward He wants us to be, and we listen, 
when the king comes back to assume his throne, he's going to say, steward, how did you handle my estate? And you can say, we talked. I was vulnerable. I was transparent. I was authentic with you. And you told me to do this with what you've entrusted me, and I did it. And maybe I struggled here, and maybe I struggled there. I'm not perfect, but I, but I tried to be authentic and vulnerable with you. And if you can say that to him with any sincerity at all, do you know what his response will be to you? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've stewarded my estate well. So take the card. Stick it somewhere, it'll remind you. And I, I, I plead with you, do not give out of guilt. Do not give hastily. But intentionality, in generosity, with courage, be vulnerable before your king. And be vulnerable before us. And say, this is what I think God wants me to do. That's stewardship. It's not kingship. So, we must be vulnerable before Jesus and each other in order to be authentic givers. Let's pray together. Jesus, it's a scary thing when we confuse our place. And Lord, I will confess to you that I often forget my place. I forget that I'm a steward and not a king. I forget that what I have is not mine, but it's been entrusted to me. And God, more than anything, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So Jesus, I ask you this morning, encourage and empower us to approach your throne in vulnerability and say, King, this is what I've done with your resources. God, I ask that you would, you would show us how to be vulnerable into the future. That this would mark our relationship with you, with vulnerability and humility, that you would be able to guide our stewardship. And that we would live free of guilt. That we would live free of, of quick and hasty decisions. But that we'd be confident that we're stewarding your estate just the way you want us to. King Jesus, we lift you high. And we are humbled for the gift that you've given us. And I ask, Lord, that you empower us to be great stewards for you. In your name, amen.